Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. If you would guys pray with me. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person and that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today they can use. They can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now. They will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, it doesn't matter the form it takes, lift them up and say this with me. Say, this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed. And I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and it works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God. And it shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, family, let's kick this thing off. We have all acknowledged that we have a one-of-a-kind policy. And that policy is backed by heaven and authorized by Jesus. In that policy, which covers every aspect of our life, by the way, in that policy, there is expressed a no-worry clause. What that clause tells us is basically and simply not to worry which, by the way, is something many of us find it very hard not to do. We find it hard not to worry at times. But our policy has in it a no-worry clause. There were two tasks that we said we had to tackle in order to get us into that no-worry zone. Here are those tasks. We had to, one... Learn to acknowledge when worrisome thoughts and feelings are attempting to rise up in us. That was our first task. The second task is we have to acquire the skills to deal with it in a manner that defeats worry and points us back to trusting God. For task one, that thing took us down a necessary initial conversation that compared two words. Those words were worry and concern. In comparing those two words, we had to recognize that worry is in conflict with your policy. Concern is not. As a brief summary and a quick highlight of the key points of what we talked about thus far for task one, 
let us just puddle jump quickly across the worry versus concern comparison that we've made. If you look at the screens, you should be seeing these comparisons as we go through. The first comparison was this. Remember, we're comparing worry and concern. It reads this way. Worry acts out of fear and anxiety, whereas concern acts out of rational thought. Next one. Worry is often unexplainable with tangible reasons and frequently closes the door on the topic of conversation using phrases like, because I said so. Whereas concern is explainable and can be eased with tangible strategies that keep the desired action in play. Next one. Worry requires an endless list of comfort items, often making it unresolvable. Whereas concern requires a limited list of comfort items, making it resolvable. The final one. Worry processes from inside out, which keeps the person linked to the mental torment, whereas concern processes from outside in, which regulates feelings and presents an opportunity for the person to experience peace. As a believer, loved ones, concern is fine. Concern is that life mode that presses you to look at yourself, look at your surroundings, look at your circumstances, look at your situations, look at your associations, and make purposeful decisions. Worry, on the other hand, is that cyclical, fear-based, anxiety-building, gloom and doom thinking. And the only thing that worry does really well is worry builds stress and anxiety. Worry robs you of your peace and leaves you restless. Worry strips you of hope. Worry sends you down that path of doubt and unbelief. Worry throws you into panic mode. Worry, that monster right there, oh, that boy, he, 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 he's destructive. When you compare worry to concern, concern, as we discussed already, is constructive. And as it relates to concern, your policy is good with that. But worry, oh, worry is destructive. And worry is destructive, and that is why it opposes your trust in God. Opposing your trust in God is what worry does best. And the simple fact that worry opposes your trust in God is the very reason why God put a no-worry clause in your policy. I want you to do something with me. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 10. Because in continuing to talk about task one, we have already shown 
worry and concern as a comparison in a practical real life example. We did that last session. What I want you to do now is allow me to show worry and concern in the life of a believer through some biblical examples. And we're going to start with 1 Samuel chapter 10. I am in the voice version of the Bible, translation of the Bible, and we're going to read verse 8. This is the prophet Samuel and, at the time, King Saul, who was king at the time, having a conversation. Samuel says this to Saul, verse 8. Go down to Gilgal ahead of me. I will come to present peace offerings and burnt offerings. Wait for seven days, and I will show you what to do. How many days is he supposed to wait? Seven days. Not six days, not eight days, seven days. And seven days, according to the time we live in right now, is 24 hours in the day. So that means as day seven comes, just because it's noon does not mean day seven is over with yet. You still need to wait. He has instructions. He has instructions through the prophet, so there are instructions from God on what to do. Not only has he received instructions, guess what? In receiving the instructions and going forth, he's also agreed to them. I want you to go to chapter 13. 1 Samuel 13, verse 8, voice version of the Bible still, translation of the Bible. It reads this way. Saul waited for Samuel for seven days, the amount of time he had been told by Samuel to wait. Day seven, not over with. Say day seven, not over. Day seven, <laughs> day seven not over with, bruh. But it says, Saul waited for Samuel for seven days, the amount of time he had been told by, by Samuel to wait. But the prophet did not come to Gilgal, and the people began to slip away. A few more days, and Saul would have no army left. So he decided to take matters into his own hands. Saul elected to jump the gun on God's instructions and take matters into his own hands. The thought of all of his men leaving that thought is bouncing around in his head, and that thought is building anxiety. And that anxiety now is driving his brain to work overtime to push him to figure out a solution on his own. That type of panicked, anxiety-driven thinking and thought process is a trademark of a worried mind. And that type of mindset runs counter to your policy. What does your policy say? Your policy says this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, Message Bible. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Your policy says trust God with all your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. But what is worry doing? Worry is pressing Saul to act out of turn. Worry is pressing him to giddy up and figure out things on his own. Once again, starting at verse 8, Saul waited for Samuel for seven days, the amount of time he had been told by, the prop, by, the, told by Samuel to wait. 
But the prophet did not come to Gilgal, and the people began to slip away. A few more days, and Saul would have, had, would have no army left. So he decided to take matters into his own hands. This is Saul speaking. Saul says, Bring me the animals for burnt offerings and the offerings of peace for the Lord. Although Saul was not a priest, he offered the burnt offerings himself without waiting for Samuel. Immediately after Saul finished the offerings, when the aroma of the sacrifice lingered over the land, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him and to pay his respects. But Samuel, saw, Samuel knew Saul had overstepped his bounds. Samuel said, what have you done? Loved ones, have, has God ever asked you that question? After you decided to take things into your own hands instead of waiting like he asked you to do? Has God ever asked you that question? What have you done after instead of waiting on him like, by the way, you agreed you would do? You went ahead and took matters into your own hands. You know all the scenarios. There are many. God asked you to wait in regards to something regarding your spouse. But in your mind, you had waited long enough. So you decided to take matters into your own hands. God told you to wait on something regarding your child, but in your mind, you had waited long enough. So you decided to take matters into your own hands. God asked you to wait on something regarding your friend. But in your mind, you had waited long enough. So you elected to take things into your own hands. God asked you to wait regarding that career. God asked you to wait regarding that business. God asked you to wait on something regarding that home you just had to have. God asked you to wait on something regarding that car you just had to buy. God asked you to wait on something regarding that thing you just had to do. He asked you to wait on something regarding that thing you just had to get. He asked you to wait on something regarding that. Listen up closely. Those words you just had to say. God asked you to wait, but in your mind, you had waited long enough. So you took matters into your own hands. Have you ever taken matters into your own hands only to have God ask you, what have you done? Truth be told, some of us, after we look back on things, we ask ourselves that question. Oh, my God, what have I done? Samuel says to Saul, what have you done? Saul says, the people were deserting me. You didn't come when you promised, and the Philistines were marching from, for war at Michmash. I thought the Philistines are going to attack me in Gil here in Gilgal, and I haven't even asked the Eternal One for, to favor us. So I took matters into my own hands. I didn't want to, but I offered the burnt offerings myself. Then Samuel said, that was a foolish thing. Saul, you have not kept the commandment that the eternal, your true God, gave to you. He was willing to establish your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom, your dynasty will not last. He has found a man who seeks his will 
and has appointed him king over all the people instead of you because you have not kept what the eternal one commanded. Saul was dealing with worry. And worry drove him to act out of turn. And in acting out of turn, he ended up getting the result that was not the result God had planned for his life. That's worry. And that is why wor worry runs counter to your policy. I want you to read something with me as we sort of summarize a point there about worry. It'll be displayed before you. I want you to read it with me. It reads this way. We'll read it again. Worry drives you to act or not act because it's not always what you do. It's what you don't do. It's not always what you say, but what you don't say sometimes. It says, worry drives you to act or not act on your situation or circumstance in spite of what God said or says. Understand that? That's what worry does. Now, I want you just to repeat it after me. Say this with me. Say, worry, worry. drives you to act, drives you to or, act. Not act or not act on your situation, on situation. or circumstance, or circumstance. In, spite in spite of what God said, God said. or says. Or yeah, that's what worry does. Now, one more statement we're going to make together. Say this with me. Worry, worry. operates, operates. <laughs> That's like an Israelite. <laughs> Let me say that again. Say worry, worry. Operates, operates outside of your policy. Of your policy. Yeah. yeah. Worry operates outside of your policy. Worry is not operating in the text of your Bible. Worry is not operating within the words and the terms and the conditions of your policy. Worry operates outside of your policy. That's worry. Let's talk about concern in the life of a believer. I want you to turn to Daniel 6. This chapter, in many translations, carries the heading, Daniel in the lion's den. As a brief lead-in, the king, based on Daniel's just great work, has elected him to be the head boss over all the leaders. And you know what? The leaders got an issue with that. I'm in the voice translation, and it calls those other leaders conspirators, which is what they are. Daniel chapter 6, verse 5. The conspirators, talking amongst each other, say this. We will never find any credible basis for charges against Daniel for how he conducts his office. Perhaps we can uncover some suitable charge in regard to the law of his God. That's, that's an amazing statement right there. They say, we can't find nothing against Daniel to charge him with based on how he do what he do. But perhaps... We can uncover some suitable charge in regard to the law of his God. Family, hear me clearly. Worry, in order for it to get a foothold in your life, has to figure out a way to put you in conflict with the law of your God. 
Worry has to figure out a way to put you in conflict with your policy. They say, we can't find nothing against this boy, but maybe we can get a charge on him regarding the law of his God. Worry's got to put you in conflict with your policy to get a foothold. Your policy says that you are to trust in the Lord with all your heart. That is 100%. And worry knows that in order for it to have any chance of doing its business inside of you, inside of your heart, doing damage in your life, it has to figure a way to reduce that percentage. It has to figure out a way to get you off of that 100% trust in God. It has to find a percentage in which it can play. Does worry need 50% of your heart? Does it need 25%? 10. Does it need 3%? Can it do its damage with only one? I don't know. But one thing is certain. In order for worry to take root, in order for worry to be an influence inside of you, worry has to figure out a way to take your position from all trust in God to a position of some trust in God. And some is some. Some can be 50-50. Some could be 60-40. Some could be 99-1%. You only need a seed to grow a tree, family. And a seed compared to an oak tree only needs a minute space in the ground to get started. That's worry. They're saying, we can't find nothing against Daniel, but maybe we can put him in conflict with his policy. What are they trying to do? They know that this boy is 100% in with God, but if we can slice off something concerning him and his policy and get him worried, we can shift him and move him to where we want him to be and to get him in trouble. Because right now, the way he operates, we can't find nothing against him, but guess what? Let's see what happens when we put him against his God. The conspirators say, we will never find any credible basis for charges against Daniel for how he conducts his office. Perhaps we can uncover some suitable charge in regard to the law of his God. The governors and officers agreed and went to the king with what they thought would be a way to entrap, entrap Daniel. The conspirators say to the king, May King Darius live forever. All the leaders of the empire, liar, Daniel didn't do it. All the leaders of the empire, the governors, prefects, officers, advisors, and other administrators have consulted together and are in complete agreement that the king should issue an edict and enforce it strictly to the effect that anyone who prays to another, whether divine or human, except for you, of course, a good king, for a period of 30 days will be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, we ask that you establish such an ordinance and sign it into law so that it cannot be changed. For the laws enacted by the Medes and Persians cannot be rescinded. After considering their proposal, King Darius signed the ordinance and made it law. The trap is set.
these conspirators have done their best and succeeded in getting the king to sign into law something that challenges Daniel to stay in line with his God. It, it's designed specifically to get him to have a conflict with his policy. But what does Daniel do? Chapter 6, verse 10. It reads, even though Daniel was aware the king had signed the ordinance into law, he continued to do what he always did. Even though Daniel knew that what had been put into play was something that put him in conflict with his policy, he kept doing, kept doing what he always did. He stayed in line with his policy. Daniel was aware. The Bible says he was aware. He was aware of the new law. He was aware that the very law that was put in place put him at odds with his earthly authority. An earthly authority who, by the way, had been good to him. He knew that to continue to pray to God put him at odds with the earthly authority who had, hey, been kind to him. With the earthly authority who had shown him favor. The earthly authority who had promoted him. He knew that staying with his policy could end him in the lion's den. Family, all the catalysts for worry are right there. Everything that could drive him to worry is right in front of his face. But Daniel elected to keep all of those worrisome thoughts on the outside. He did not allow those worrisome thoughts to get in his heart. He held fast to his position that his number one priority in life was his relationship with God. Daniel continued to trust God with all his heart, not 99%, but 100. Daniel continued to trust God with all his heart, and as a result, you know what he did? He made decisions and took actions that gave him peace. Unlike Saul, Daniel, he's dealing with concern, not worry. Now, to kind of summarize concern, we're going to read something with you, but let's finish off Daniel 6, verse 10. Even though Daniel was aware the king had signed, into ordinance, signed the ordinance into law, he continued to do what he always did. He would go home, ascend the stairs to the upper room, which had windows facing toward Jerusalem, and get down on his knees three times a day and pray to his God and praise him. You see, when you're just dealing with concern, because your heart is still 100% focused on God, you know how to pray and praise in the midst of your storm. Because you are dealing with concern and not worry, you know that 
even though there may be people pressing you on every side, trying to bring you down, you know to stand up and pray and give God praise for what he's going to do, not what they are doing. Amen. Family, the Bible says that even though Daniel knew what had been signed into law, he still went up to his upper room. Is there anybody in here that know what it's like to go to the upper room? I'm talking about go to that place where it's just you and God. You know what our policy says? It says to cast our cares upon him for he cares for us. And when you go into that upper room, it's something that happens when it's just you and God and you can bear your heart and you can bear your soul and let God bring you the peace of mind that only he can bring. It says that Daniel went up into the upper room. There's something special that happens, loved ones, when you get into that upper room. But you can't go up in that upper room carrying worry. Because when you're in that upper room, it has to be you and God 100, 100%. If you bring 1% of worry in that room, you might miss what he's trying to say. If you bring 1% of worry in that room, you might miss what he's asking you to do. If you bring 1% into that room, the Holy Spirit may not be able to get you close enough to God to get the answer that you need. Because worry is speaking into your mind and speaking into your heart and getting you to put a muffled ear, muffles on your ear regarding what God is trying to say. When you go up into that upper room, it's got to be you and God 100%. Daniel went into the upper room, family. And he went into that upper room, maybe carrying concern, but he left worry at the door. The upper room. My Bible tells me that, hey, he knew that he had signed it into law. But he went into the upper room. And when he went into that upper room, what did he do? It said he both prayed to and praised his God. When you're dealing with concern, you rest in the assurance that your God has the answer. When you're dealing with concern, you rest in the assurance that your God is the answer. And when you rest, your prayers are different. When you have peace in your heart and you rest, you pray to God with confidence. When you have peace in your heart, you pray to God with assurance. And guess what? After you get off of your knees, if I can use that analogy, your bowing time shifts to praise time because you realize that it is done. Unlike Saul, Daniel that boy is dealing with concern, not worry. And as a believer, here's a statement that I want to use to sum up concern. I want you to say this with me. It'll be displayed before you, but say this with me. Say, concern, concern. Drives, you drives you to act or not act, or not act. on your situation, on situation. Or, circumstance or circumstance based on what God said or says. Concern 
operates within your policy. Whereas worry operates outside of your policy. Whereas worry drives you to do and say and act or don't do or don't say things that God did not say. It's outside of your policy. Concern family operates in your policy. Concern looks at life through the lens of your policy. Concern says, I'm going to do what God says do regardless. Concern says, I'm going to say what God says to do to say regardless. That's concern. Difference. Worry operates outside of your policy, but concern, that boy is embedded down deep inside your policy. Difference. Go to 2 King chapter 6. This time, Message Bible. A very quick view of now worry and concern side by side. We talked about Samuel and Saul. That's just dealing with worry. We talked about Daniel and his threat under law of being thrown in the lion's den. That's concern. Now let's look at those boys side by side. Second Kings chapter six, message Bible, beginning in verse eight. This has to do with the prophet Elisha, S-H-A. It says, one time when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, after consulting with his officers, he said, at such and such a place, I want an ambush set. The holy man, who is Elisha, sent a message to the king of Israel, watch out when you're passing this place because Aram has set an ambush there. So the king of Israel sent word concerning the place of which the holy man had, man had warned him. This kind of thing happened all the time. The king of Aram was furious over all this. He called his officers together and said, tell me who is leaking information to the king of Israel. Who is the spy in our ranks? This king is angry. This king is doing his best to trip up Israel, but every time they've seemed to have the ability to avoid his ambush. He is thinking that he has a mole in the camp. He's thinking that one of his boys then turned traitor, and he want to know who it is. The king of Aram was furious over all this. He called his officers together and said, tell me who is leaking information to the king of Israel. Who is the spy in our ranks? But one of his men said, no, my master, dear king, it's not any of us. It's Elisha, the prophet in Israel. He tells the king of Israel everything you say, even what you whisper in your bedroom. The king said, go and find out where he is. I'll send someone and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. I'm going to show you a map quickly. And this map just gives you some relativity of the kingdom of Aram, Dothan, and Samaria, which is, was the capital city for the northern tribe of Israel. <laughs> We're not going to have that map for you. But let me, let me do something real quick. Because if you were to go back 
and actually look at this account, what you would end up doing is you would end up seeing where they discuss Aram, they discuss Samaria, they discuss, yeah, those three. And if you were able to see it, oh, here it is. All right, so what I'm going to do my best is with this smaller monitor. I'm just going to show you real quick. So if you look at this, I don't know if you can see it, but you can see where Dothan and Jerusalem and Aram, where they are in relative position. So if you do go back and look at and look at everything, you will know, relatively speaking, where they are. But continuing from there, but one of the men said, no, my master, dear king, if any of us, it's not any of us, it's Elisha the prophet in Israel. He tells the king of Israel everything you say, not even what you whisper in your bedroom. The king said, go and find out where he is. I'll send someone and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. Then he dispatched horses and chariots, an impressive fighting force. They came by night and surrounded the city. Early in the morning, a servant of the holy man got up and went out. Surprise, horses and chariots surrounding the city. The young man exclaimed, oh, master, what shall we do? What did Elisha say? Elisha says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. There are more on our side than on their side. Here we have two men in the same situation. One worried, one has peace. One worried, the other obviously has concern with what he sees, but concern, not worry. Elijah's servant, Elisha's servant is saying, oh, what are we going to do? He's looking at the situation and trying to figure out how they make this thing work, how they get themselves out of this with their own strength and their own abilities. Elisha, on the other hand, Elijah is viewing the situation through the lens of his policy. And he knows that as long as he has God on his side, it don't matter who's on their side. Then Elijah prayed, O God, open his eyes and let him see. The eyes of the young man were open and he saw a wonder. The whole mountainside full of horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. When the Arameans attacked, Elisha prayed to God, strike these people blind, and God struck them blind, just as Elisha said. That is an example in the life of a believer, both worry and concern operating in the same situation. We can reflect that on so many situations, even the situations that we're having today in our society. 
everybody's dealing with the same situation. But as you can see, people's responses are different depending on how they view life through their policy. Here, the servant viewing life out of worry. Elijah, Elisha had peace. Why? Because he's viewing life through his policy. That pretty much wraps up our view of task one, our approach to making sure we can get to that no worry zone. Here are three key takeaways that I want you to remember from our, yeah, our work in getting task one to be accomplished. Those three items for you to remember, and I'll read them twice in case you want to write them down, are these. The first one. You know that worry is attempting to rise when your mind begins drifting away from mere concern and towards a thought process that is more destructive, panicky, and circular. The second one, remember I'll read them again. The second one is this. If your thought process is driving you to act in spite of your policy, you are likely worried. The third one. If your thought process is driving you to act within your policy, you are likely just concerned. Once more quickly, starting from the top. You know that worry is attempting to rise when your mind begins drifting away from mere concern and towards a thought process that is more destructive, panicky, and circular. The next one. If your thought process is driving you to act in spite of your policy, you are likely worried. The final one. If your thought process is driving you to act within your policy, you are likely just concerned. That wraps up our task number one. The next time we get together, we launch out into task number two. Love you so much. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for everything that you are to us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity just to be here and to experience your presence and to hear what you have to say to us through your word. God, we curse worry from the root. We don't want any of us who are your children to live a life of worry. Oh, we may have concerns, but help us not to let it become worry. When it comes to who you are in our life, we are to run to you to get the answers that we need. Where we have cares, we are to, we are to deposit those cares at your feet and leave them there. We are not to deposit our cares and let strings stay attached. 
I pray right now that everybody who, if they have a worry, God, that they let it go. They don't hold on to it. Allow them to leave this place with a lighter heart. Let them know that you love them and that you only want the best for them. And I pray that your peace rests upon them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.